You're listening to the Bitcoin and Marcus podcast. Hello, Bitcoiners. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Market, episode 36 for December. Oh, shit. February 23rd, 2017. Uh, what a time to be alive. We just broke the all-time high on Bitstamp just a few minutes ago. We hit up to 1168, and now we're back down slightly. We have not broke the all-time high on Bitfinex, Uh there could be more resistance on Bitfinex. I don't know. But what a time to be alive, really. What a time to be part of this with, you know, amongst open-minded people on cutting edge of technology and economics and all sorts of things. It's just, it's just amazing. Let's get into a little bit deeper uh, fundamentals on Bitcoin in a market update. Like I said, the price on Bitstamp is, well, now it's $1,162.70. The CMY price is at $76.48. It is quite a ways off. It's So that's over 1200 CNY off of its all-time high. Uh, that's quite a bit. Um, I don't know um, how far that's going to go. Remember, the, the previous all-time high before... This last uh, January on CNY was seventy nine ninety five, so we're we're pretty close to that actually. We're three hundred or so CNY off of the uh, you know December what was that December thirteen highs. So it's about it's it's in the same ballpark. It's it's struggling a little bit here the CNY price because remember with withdrawals of Bitcoin stopped. Uh, no one wants to buy Bitcoin. They don't want to be holding it because they can't withdraw it anyway. Um, that puts a little bit of damper on the price. But, okay, let's look at some other fundamentals now. Local Bitcoin's volume is off the freaking charts, people. We had, let's see what the exact numbers are. Um, people are texting me right now about the all-time high. Um... China has just exploded. So the all-time high volume now on local Bitcoins is $24 million worth in the last week, which is insane. I mean, it went up $2 million in the last week. Let's look at the Chinese volumes because those were the ones that, I mean, just skyrocketed. Um, holy crap. So, two weeks ago, the volume, the CNY volume on local Bitcoins was 1.4 million CNY, okay? Last week, it was it shot up to 6.5 million CNY. So, a, well, what is that? More than a tripling of the volume for last, from three weeks ago to last week. Or sorry, two weeks ago to last week. This week, it's at 36 million CNY. <laughs> so that's another what? Five times? 
from just last week. It's amazing. I I didn't expect this. Um, I don't know what this means. Maybe this means like, uh, you know, all of this PBOC stuff was in the news over there. And so a lot of people started looking into it and they started going to ATMs or they started buying, you know, on local bitcoins. So maybe that's why. Maybe it was a self-fulfilling prophecy because the volume didn't come this this what would that be total over 20x volume increase didn't come from coming off the exchanges all that exchange volume was fake to begin with so this had to come from just like news maybe the elites over there you know because if i'm if i'm a rich chinese person and i really hadn't heard of bitcoin or I thought it was a joke. And then the PBOC comes in and gives my exchanges legitimacy, makes, you know, gives this whole thing legitimacy. That makes me want to buy it. And so you're going to go buy it, uh, on local bitcoins as if it were a real capital flight. Now this is, it's so ironic that there really was very little capital flight. But now that they crack down on the exchanges and local bitcoins volume, goes 20x in two weeks maybe there's actually going to be capital flight now how crazy that is just oh man that just kills me you, you can't stop bitcoin and remember there was a guy a chinese guy that came out he was a former i guess governor of the pboc and he said you can't kill bitcoin you know you, if you can't beat them join them sort of thing man it's uh it's about to go crazy here, breaking all time high, all these crazy volumes. Almost every country on local bitcoins, I'm looking at this, is near all time high volumes, if not at all time high volumes right now. So, okay, let's take, we need to go a little bit further here on these fundamentals. The network volume, so the 24 hour volume on. Uh, the actual blockchain was $155 million worth of Bitcoin transacted. Um, that is, I'm, I don't think that's an all-time high, but it's getting up there. And remember, the average size transaction on the blockchain is over a Bitcoin. I wouldn't be surprised right now, since we're at all-time highs, if, if it's even higher, like $2,000 per transaction on average on the blockchain i wouldn't be surprised difficulty has tapered off so we had those big jumps and this you know a developing story here that we can if you listen to this show you know this is a developing thing with the difficulty so we had some major increases um, and it looked like we were going to continue that but it has tapered off so the last two increases were uh well, the last three were 16, 7. This very last one was 4% difficulty increase. And now we're sitting at about 0, 0.5% increase. Um, still, anything positive is healthy. I would like to see that, you know, 1% or 2% I think is sustainable. Uh, maybe even up to 5%. I don't know. But remember, this is every two weeks. So year on year... What would a 1.5 or 0.5% increase every two weeks get you? 10, 
15% maybe by the end of the year. And that's pretty healthy. So anyway, uh, SegWit. SegWit has gone up now. They've broken through 25 and now it's a 26%. They still got a long way to go, but they have added a couple pools onto this uh, as well as a, a few pool operator software has now said that they are ready to signal sig segwit so all if you are my if you are mining bitcoin out there uh, at home with your little rigs and you're a member of a pool uh, then start signaling segwit because your pool could probably supports it at this point even the bitmain warranty pool supports it so go for it start start uh, signaling that uh, bitcoin unlimited God, I hate even mentioning them. They're down now again to 16%. Probably will not go much higher than what they have already. Um, you wouldn't get that by listening to their rhetoric out there. Uh, they are going to take over Bitcoin if you listen to them. Another part of that uh, Unlimited is they've been talking about taking us... Uh, or they've been talking about the number of node increases. So uh, on Bitcoin, if, if you're new to Bitcoin and you're just kind of figuring this out, there's two types of nodes on the network. There's a mining node and there's a full node. Um, a full node is, well, a miner is a full node plus they have a bunch of hashing behind it. A full node is without the hashing, without the mining behind it. Um, full nodes out there are way, it's like 70% now are, are ready for SegWit. And it's become apparent that if you try to hard fork uh, the network with, say, 51% of the hashing power, but you only have 20% of the full nodes, your blocks aren't going to propagate very well, and your chain will be taken over very quickly. So uh, I think that's why some of these unlimited people have been starting to spool up full nodes. Of course, don't forget, you go to uh, Amazon Hosting, the AWS, and just spool up a node right there just and fake it you can also use proxies to make it look like there's more full nodes than there are um, if you look at the growth of core nodes uh, and their adoption of segwit it's very organic it's like a slow steady straight line where bitcoin unlimited is like all of a sudden there's three times as many unlimited nodes on the network so it's probably they're doing some proxy stuff um, and there's no, there might be a few new nodes on AWS, but it's not going to triple overnight like that. That's not organic growth. It's totally fake. <laughs> okay. Um, let's get right into this coin ETF thing. It's going to be a little bit shorter episode this week because most of the news is around the all time high, the unstoppable bull market right now. <laughs> and, also, the coin ETF, will it be approved? There's some breaking information that I just um, received, so I'm going to be covering that in the next section. Um, but the the all-time high and like some altcoin stuff, I'm going to be covering on the Patreon companion episode. So you guys get extra content if you support the show for a dollar a month on Patreon. Then, you know, you get access to those, those extra episodes, plus... Um, you know, I've had a couple people bump up from $1 to $5 to help me get to my goal. One of my uh, stretch goals there is if I do get to $500 a month on Patreon, 
I'll be donating 10% to Bitcoin projects. Uh, we'll see how that goes. It might even be before 500. I might start doing that before 500 because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that aren't doing the ICOs and they need support. You know, they're writing libraries. They're um, writing little uh, tweaks, the tumble bit stuff or whatever. They're, they're doing things, creating wallets. They're doing things that don't have a lot of monetary um, benefit at this point, but they're vital to Bitcoin. And so if I can just take a little bit of the support for my listeners and roll that into supporting the community, all the better. Um, like we don't want to, we don't want to support the people doing scammy ICOs every couple weeks. We want to support these, these guys out there, you know, head down coding out the stuff, the, the infrastructure of the future. So, um, go to patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and markets to support me in that way. Um, and I think the $5 level is great. And we also have a $50 level. So if you want me to give you some backlinks in the show notes or, to give you a name drop or something on the show that's $50 a month and like I said it just it all it will all go to a good cause it'll go to me making more content and to hopefully support uh, the unsung heroes out there in Bitcoin so thank you let's talk about the coin ETF All right, let's get into this uh, big discussion on the ETF. Now, there's a lot of people out there that have commented on this, and opinions vary. I think there's more people on the not get approved side, and so me being a contrarian, uh, you know, I simply that's an easy call. I would say it's going to be approved because everybody thinks that it's not going to be approved. Um, a big piece was published, uh, a big report was published by Needham and Company, uh, authored by Spencer Bogart, uh, co- like a month ago now, and they said that there's less than a 25% chance that it will get approved. Um, so, you know, Bitcoin commentators out there, Tone Vase is a, a very vocal uh, opponent of this. He, he's adamant that it will not happen. Um, in the show notes, I linked to some information for you guys. So there's the Needham and Company report. You probably all have read it, but I linked to it anyway. Also, there was a there's a, another podcast out there called Unchained, and I hadn't listened to any of the episodes until I you know was I ran across this one. Um, they're talking uh, with Spencer Bogart and also Daniel Masters, the director um, at Global Advisors for Bitcoin products. And I think they have like eight um, Bitcoin products throughout the world. Uh, like investment vehicles, but none of them are mainstream. None of them. I think the biggest one might have like $8 million, something like that in there. But I, I linked to that. You can also just Google unchained podcast. Uh, it's affiliated with Forbes. So it comes up at top of the search results. Um, and 
it was like their second to last mo or second to last yeah the second most recent episode uh, is this one where sh the host talks with Spencer Bogart and Daniel Masters so that's good listening if you guys want to check that out they make a lot of good points and they're split Spencer Bogart says it's not going to get approved and Daniel Masters thinks it will anyway then I also linked to the SEC filings on scc.gov and there you can see kind of the history of the amendments um, when the file you know read the first filing read the most recent filing they did just update recently with talking about what happens with a hard fork so check that out okay so let me jump into this with um i just want to run through some of the points on the etf i had a bitcoin meetup last week and some people were talking about the etf but they didn't you know they asked me questions like how does it work what is the actual, you know, tell me some facts about this ETF. And so that's what this section is for. Let me just run through these. Um, I'm not trying to pander down to you guys. It's just that, you know, I have several hundred listeners to each episode and a lot of them are probably new to Bitcoin or new to investing. And like I said, at my Bitcoin meetup, a lot of people had questions about these, these kind of, um, basic things about the ETF. So I wanted to cover these um, ETFs sit on a stock of underlying assets. So you, for example, uh, stocks, bonds, emerging market stocks, emerging market bonds, commodities, metals, and even currency. So like for a gold ETF, they hold a stockpile of gold and they sell shares in that stockpile of gold. Uh, it'll either be like one share will represent a gram of gold or one hundredth of an ounce or something like that or one uh, tenth of an ounce, I think, is the GLD ETF. Um, and that goes for all of those, okay? All of those will sit on a basket uh, or a stockpile of the good that you're buying into. So if it's stocks, you know, the ETF owns a bunch of stocks uh, of that stock and you buy into it. If it's like an index, kind of like emerging market stocks ETF, then they own a bunch of other um, stocks from around the world. And that's one way that people can gain exposure on the U S markets to foreign markets. Um, okay. They have a sponsor, a custodian, um, usually a trust the, they have, they make money off of fees, you know, trading fees, storage fees, all, all sorts of different things. And they usually have a, um, net asset value or a NAV. And that's kind of like the, the, uh, the value of the underlying asset that they hold minus the fees. Okay. Also, an ETF makes two markets. There's two halves to each ETF. One is creation and redemption. Um, and I will talk about that here in a little bit or the next point. And the other half is trading of the shares. So, um, creation and redemption is done by authorized participants. And in this Bitcoin ETF, there's some high frequency traders, you know, some people, some, uh, firms that are specially designed to do this. That, that's their business is that they, they do this type of thing. What they do is they create these shares and they sell them off. And then they have to source that Bitcoin or source that underlying asset. And usually they have, I think it's like seven days to source it. And, uh, in this ETF, they create a hundred, uh, 10,000 shares at a time. 
Um, and then they have like seven days to source that on the open market. Um, they, they play arbitrage, like their business is arbitrage between the Bitcoin price and what they can sell their share for, um, or what they sell the share for, or, or what they buy the share back for, or whatever, you know, like the redemption of these. Because you can redeem this, these ETFs usually and get the underlying asset, but there's a high bar for that. So like if I own one, uh, one share of GLD, I can't say I want to turn this in and get the physical. You have to meet a certain bar, like say 10,000 shares, then you can turn that in for um, a thousand ounces of gold. And that's similar. That's exactly the same here with uh, the Bitcoin ETF. You can redeem 10,000 share chunks. They're called baskets. Um, okay, so the average Joe investor, they're investing on just trading of shares. So you have the, the corporate side or the, uh, insider side. That's the creation and redemption. And then you have the average Joe side is, um, trading the shares. Each share here is, uh, 0.1 bitcoins. There's baskets, like I said, of, uh, 10,000 shares. And, um, the authorized participants can use multiple exchanges to source the Bitcoin. They're not just tied down to Gemini or, or even U.S. exchange. They can source it other places. I think it says in one of the, um, or in the S1 filing that like it's preferred to do it on Gemini or a U.S. exchange, but it doesn't have to be. They're probably going to have, you know, stuff all over the place. Uh, okay. And their nav is determined every day. Uh, with the Gemini auction price, and that has been built growing here recently, um, the auction market on Gemini. And I think they just hit a recent high. It started middle of last year, and yeah, they do that every four o'clock, uh, every day, every business day. Uh, they will set that's where the underlying asset value for this ETF will come from. And if that is way off, like let's say there's like I don't know, a DDoS tack and they can't get the proper uh, numbers at four or it's just way out of whack. So the price is either really high or really low or something. Then they can use Gemini spot or Itbit spot is their tertiary. Okay, so that's kind of how these, these ETFs work. Now I have some point counterpoint things here for the skeptics or the people that don't think it's going to get approved versus my like response to those things. So, um, point number one, uh, this is the wild west and the sec won't approve something that's so volatile and unregulated, you know, that's a fringe asset. Plus it's the, it's going to be the first digital asset. And I think that's what the rule change is about is the actual, it being a digital asset, uh, a wholly digital asset and having no like physical backing or anything. Um, so my response, my counterpoint is that Gemini is the most regulated exchange in the world. It's very regulated, very licensed. It is, it is at this point, the most, uh, in the eyes of the government, it is the best exchange. Okay. Also, Markets have been very robust the past couple of years, especially from attacks. Look at the Bitfinex hack, right? It, it dropped a hundred bucks or something and bounced right back. And we continued on our bull run. The, the volatility itself has gone way down. It's more, it's less volatile than 
most large stocks like Apple or one of the, some of those. It's very, it's not very volatile at all. And it has had times that it's less volatile than gold. Uh, so the volatility argument doesn't work. Okay. Next point that these people make is that being the first digital asset, it's hard to secure. And people don't understand that. And maybe the SEC doesn't want to take a risk in that way, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, um, my counterpoint is that if you read the S1 filing from these guys, they spend several pages describing their process of securing these Bitcoins. And they've even filed a patent on, on this process. I mean, they've spent a lot of time going through this. And I think it's pretty good. They're using cold storage. And I want you to know it's not BitGo. <laughs> but uh, they're using cold storage with hardware keys geographically separated around the United States, multi-sigs. Uh, everybody that holds a key is background checked and continuously background checked by the trust or the administrators of the ETF. They're fingerprinted, um, and they even have a, a system built in. It's called proof of control. And I don't know exactly how this is going to work, if they're going to report, like show that they have control of these keys every quarter, every month, whatever. But uh, they have that's built in where they can they have a process to to publish that, that they have control of the keys. So, like, this is more secure than a regular commodity ETF that is all stored in one place. So, even if, even if you have an ETF that's stored in different places, like a gold ETF where you have, say, four vaults around the world that are holding your gold, well, if you knock down one vault, you're going to get 25% of the gold. Right? But if you knock down one location for this multi-sig, you're still not going to get the Bitcoin. And I think right now they say it's a two of three, but they could make that a three of five. So even if you knock down two, 40% of these locations and somehow compromise these keys, you're still not getting the Bitcoin. So I think it's more secure than other underlying assets. That's, that's my opinion. That's my argument here. Okay. Next point is, uh, Bitcoin is not liquid enough. There's no way they would uh, approve this uh, or let a Bitcoin uh, ETF go because the underlying asset's not liquid enough. Well, there's a lot of ETFs in the world, and there's a lot of ETFs that are very illiquid, at least the underlying asset. And remember, there's two sides to an ETF market, the creation redemption side and the trading side. And what they're saying here is that the creation redemption side is too illiquid. Well, the Bitcoin ETF has two top 10 high-frequency trading companies. They're going to create this liquidity. Uh, sorry, the, the Bitcoin ETF has two of these high-frequency trading companies as authorized participants. They're going, that are sourcing the Bitcoin. They're going to create this liquidity. It's going to bring a lot of liquidity to the market. Um, and there's a lot less liquid ETFs than even Bitcoin would be. I mean, there's lots of currency ETFs. There's lots of um, like emerging market stocks or emerging market bond ETFs that are very illiquid. It's very hard to trade them like uh, on the creation redemption side. Um, so that's that's what I have to say about that. OK, number point number four, governments 
and banks, government slash banks, hate Bitcoin and won't let it get this kind of legitimacy. This is Andy Hoffman's point. And uh, Andy Hoffman, man, he is, I listened to his interview on the uh, Meister show, Bitcoin Meister show. It, he's ex- almost exactly on the same page as me. Um, except in this point, uh, in that interview, I said, you know, I, th- I think he's th- wrong on that. Um, first off, they don't understand Bitcoin. And e- Andy Hoffman even said that they don't understand this. Okay. They hate it, but they don't understand it. Uh, they don't understand holding Bitcoin and why people hold it. They don't understand store of value. I mean, look at their system they've created. And I've talked to lots of bankers and lots of people, economists and things, um, mainstream people where they are like, you tell them something about store of value and they just don't get it. You tell them that two or 3% inflation every year is not good. It's robbing you of 2% of your purchasing power and they just don't get it. They don't understand holding a Bitcoin and they don't understand Bitcoin itself. Uh, and they probably think since they don't understand Bitcoin, they don't understand holding, they don't understand any of this stuff. They probably think that this ETF, especially the first major ETF that's going to have a big market share is going to be able to quote unquote control Bitcoin. You know, how do we want to control this? We've tried, uh, attacking the network. That doesn't work. We've tried social engineering on this on Bitcoin with all these hard forks all around with uh classic and XT and now unlimited. We've tried to take over Bitcoin and it's not working. This ETF is a way to control Bitcoin. That's what they're thinking. And lastly, <laughs> they're stupid. Uh, okay. So that's my point counterpoints to those things. And I also want to put a couple overlooked points in the end here. And that is that I think people are discounting just how connected and smart the Winklevoss twins are. Okay, they're kind of, you know, depicted in the whole Facebook thing that uh, they're kind of useful idiots or just some rich kids. No, I don't think so. They're very connected. They're successful on their own. They own lots of different businesses, insurance brokerages, all sorts of things. They're inside the industry. They're at least second generation inside the industry. They're smart guys. And if they didn't think that this was going to go through, they would pull their filing. They would withdraw it. And maybe revamp some stuff and put it back in. But the fact that they're not withdrawing this this uh, filing, to me, tells me that they have some... They are confident. And if these smart guys that own 1% of all Bitcoin, two, over 200,000 Bitcoins... And that just recently passed $200 million again of Bitcoin. You know, they know. They Their opinion, I think, is much uh, more accurate than others that are commenting on this space. So I would default to their assessment, if anybody's. Okay, another point that's overlooked is this Trump mantra, America, America, America. Uh, they don't want to lose market share to the rest of the world. Um, I mean, already, and they're they're aware of Bitcoin. Look at Trump's staff. There's been a lot of news about that. They're aware of Bitcoin. They know what's going on in Bitcoin. 
Bitcoin uh, at least represents huge innovation, especially financial innovation. Um, there's other jurisdictions out there that have more Bitcoin instruments already. Look at Europe. They have uh, five or six, I think. There's multiple ways. There's lots of tax havens that have things like this too, like Jersey, Jersey Island, I think, and uh, maybe the Canary Islands. They have some sort of um, uh, Bitcoin investment vehicles there. And then China, on top of that, they, they seem to be cleaning up the market. Are they cleaning up the market because they're going to start allowing this invest, like real investment into Bitcoin where they can control the ingoing and, uh, you know, the, the money, the, yeah, money laundering aspect of it, like offer an ETF on their exchanges? It's very possible. And so with this, uh, the Trump mantra, America, 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 I think that that has to be in this equation somewhere. Okay. And on, on top of this, I also wanted to mention that. Um, I wonder when the Bitcoin miner ETFs are coming. They got to be coming soon. Maybe some of these miners will IPO and actually there will be a mining ETF in the next couple of years. That'd be interesting. Okay. My last, um, my last overlooked point is that it, it, it's the most obvious and a lot of people have talked about it. But I don't think they're giving it enough weight. And that is that the market seems to be signaling approval. And I'm not big into prediction markets. Okay. I, I think there's some cool science there to be done. But I believe in market prices, especially in Bitcoin right now. I think it's, it's pretty, pretty free market in, uh, at least worldwide on the exchanges and um, mark, uh, price discovery and uh, things like that. So um, the market seems to be telling us that it's approved. It'll be approved. And, and if anything, the least you can say about it is that it's signaling that rejection would not be a bad thing or not that as bad as we think. So those, that, that's my points here. Um, I have one final thing to comment on because people raise this as an objection, but I don't think it actually fits into the main topic of a Bitcoin ETF, and that is altcoin ETFs. They say if they allow Bitcoin ETF, they're going to have to allow altcoin ETFs. Well, that's true, but those points that I just made about the Winklevoss, they have a lot of, I mean, they're backing this. They're the one pushing this through. So they have, they're connected. They have a lot of clout and you'd need someone with similar clout to push through, say, an Ethereum ETF. Also, the, the Trump mantra doesn't fit here because Ethereum, I mean, it, it's a Switzerland based company. So there's not this, this, uh, and it's very centralized. So there's not going to be this America, America, America thing. Plus, they, they want you to be blockchain agnostic, and so why not just fork Ethereum and do your own? That's what everybody's doing anyway. So uh, there's no reason to have an Ethereum ETF. You can't quantify, like, blockchain agnostic. Um, okay. And it, it's a little bit different because 
those are more like stocks. All coins are more like stocks than Bitcoin being a commodity because uh, they have a governing body. And a lot of these altcoins tout their governance models. And they're very centralized with like a couple founders that probably own most of the coins. Very shallow markets. Um, and security will be much harder to guarantee because, especially on Ethereum, with all the hard forks. I mean, in Bitcoin, a hard fork is an outside possibility. Okay. But with Ethereum, it's guaranteed to hard fork multiple times. And we have this proof of stake that's going to make a whole new Ethereum. So there's no, um, there's no, uh, possibility of an altcoin ETF on the horizon, even if Bitcoin gets through. So anyway, okay. That is my discussion of the ETF. I hope some, those arguments made sense. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to get approved. I'm, <sighs> I'm fairly confident. I'm not, it's not a hundred percent that it's going to get approved, but I think I'm 90, 95% that it will be approved. I hope I'm right. I mentioned some breaking news in the first part of the show, and I wanted to touch on that here before I wrap it up. Um, so this morning, they dro uh, some a memo dropped of a meeting between the SEC and a bunch of different parties involved with the this ETF. Um, not only all of the uh, service providers, authorized participants, sponsors, auditors, etc., but also a couple different people. Uh, so I thought I would mention that here. I'll put a link to that, this thread from Reddit in the show notes. And there's a couple really, really good posts on here that break down exactly kind of maybe what this means. I think this is a good sign. I don't think this was a last pitch effort for the SEC. I don't think they're like, hey, come on in and give us one more briefing on what this will look like. No, I think that... Uh, this was probably an approval meeting. They are, you know, have a gag order. They can't talk about anything right now. But then you look at the price since February 14th and it's been straight up. So was it insider trading? Probably. I mean, at least a lot of it was. There is a, just this air of uh, bullishness in Bitcoin right now. So that could be some of it. But I would say a lot of it is... Um, at least buying the dips was all these guys. So what does this memo say? Well, it doesn't really say what they talked about, just that there was a meeting. And, okay, actually this says the date is February 22nd on the actual meeting, it's on the actual thing itself. But it was, let's see, what does the link say? It doesn't really say anything in the link. I don't know where they got 14 February, but I'm seeing on the memorandum itself it says date 22 Feb. So let's take a look at the price since 22 Feb, which was yesterday. Oh, maybe that's just when it was released. But the meeting itself took place on 
the 14th. Oh, yeah, it says on February 14th. Oh, shit, right in the top line of the actual body of this memo, it says the 14th. So since then, it's been straight up. So who was here? Uh, you obviously have the Winklevoss twins. You have um, a guy, another guy from Digital Asset Services. That's the Winklevoss's uh, sponsor. That's their company. Um uh, global head of equities trading at KCG and KCG. Remember, they are a quant, um, high frequency trading company. Senior vice president of Glo and global head of exchange trade at Bats. So pretty high up person there. Um, that was a female, by the way, Laura Morrison. Uh, assistant general counsel at Bats. ETF product specialists at State Street, and they're an admin company that's involved, a very large one for many, many ETFs. I think like GLD is there. There's a couple other ones that are really big. Uh, President and Chief Executive Officer of Convergex, which is a not a high frequency trade, but they are specialize in enterprise investing and also like pensions and IRAs and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, they are an authorized participant right now. Head of ETF Capital Markets and Global Portfolio Trading at Sesquahana International Group. They are another high-frequency trader that is not listed on the Coin-ETF website yet, coin-etf.com. Uh, but they are they are in there as well. Let's see. They don't have anybody from Virtu, but the Virtu Financial, maybe that is... Sesquahana. I don't know. Maybe they're connected somehow. But there's nobody here from Virtu. Ropes and Gray. There's two guys from Ropes and Gray, which is a law, a global, I guess, international law firm out of Boston. And they are not listed on the website either. So it says the discussion concerned BAT's uh, proposed rule change to list and trade pursuant to BZX Rule 14.11E4, shares issued by the Winklevoss Bitcoin Trust. So I'm thinking this means it's approved, people. And a lot of, some of the Redditors are saying that they think it's approved as well. I would go with that. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good call. Um, and plus everything I just said. But this is brand new breaking information this morning. So, God, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy that we could be seeing an ETF and that this is actually happening. We could even see ETF early. You know, they're they're putting this out on the 22nd of February. That is, what, 17 days, 18 days before they're supposed to get approval or the last possible chance to get approval. So... Um, maybe we'll see this early, maybe even tomorrow we will get some sort of announcement, uh, or I guess what's today, Thursday. So it could be Friday afternoon. We get this announcement of the ETF and it starts trading on Monday or something like that. I mean, this could be pretty big. I don't know, but definitely something worth watching. And I mean, this is the center of Bitcoin right now, the all time highs and the ETFs, but Anyway, okay, that's all I have for this week, guys. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Uh, get access to the extra content over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. You know, you support the show, support me making content. If I get to a certain level, I'm going to be donating 10% uh, to those 
the hardworking unsung heroes out there making libraries and doing different things for Bitcoin. So it's a good opportunity to uh, support Bitcoin in general. Buy a Bitcoin. Peace.